Are you someone with a dream, passion, and desire to become an entrepreneur? Hi, I'm Corey Mosley, and I'm on a mission to provide education and empowerment to aspiring entrepreneurs. If that's you, you're invited to join me every week as I talk with everyday entrepreneurs committed to beating the odds and building their businesses. Welcome to the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Corey Mosley. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we've got another exciting show where, of course, we're talking to entrepreneurs like you who are making it happen every single day. And they're sharing their stories, their tips, their tactics, their wins, and their losses with us. And today is no different. I'm joined by another good friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, probably going back almost 20 years, Michael Risk. He is the founder of Condition for Life. This is a lifestyle management fitness company that is just really helping people transform. This guy's blogging. uh, He's consulting with corporations, assisting pro athletes, and really helping people through fitness as the platform. He's helping his tribe see that diet and exercise perfection can't create happiness or fix what you believe about yourself. So it's just amazing work that he's doing. I've known him a long time. Mike, it's so great to have you on the show today. Corey, thank you for having me here. It's always a pleasure to connect with you, and uh, hopefully I can say something of value. I'm sure we've been talking offline before the show, and there's just a ton of stuff that people are going to find valuable here. But, you know, folks, if you're looking for a guy who has more certifications than you could (laughs) ever imagine, you know, his signature line, this guy's certified in everything. I mean, he's definitely a guy that's going to get you right. But I want to talk about entrepreneurship to our audience. And there's always this conversation, right, about passion and finding your passion and following your passion. And one of the things I've always respected about you is, you know, we worked together for a time in in an industry, in a sales business. And it it was almost like you came into work one day and just was like, "Eh, I don't want to do this anymore. Fitness is really my passion. That's really what I'm, I'm interested in. And I'm just going to go follow that. And listen, we were much younger back then, but without, you know, much care for how you were going to do it and exactly how it was going to work out. Because a lot of people, right, they want to plan forever. They want to, you know, there's two schools of thought, right? There's get your business plan and all of this done and have everything buttoned up and think of every unconceivable thing that can happen before you go out and start. And then there's the people that just like jump and grow your wings on the way down. And probably the answer is somewhere in the middle, but how did you decide, you know, how did you know fitness was your passion and how did you just make that decision that was like, I'm going to go do this and I'll figure it out after the fact? Right. Yeah. So I think that that's certainly my natural style is to jump out and figure out my, where my wings are on the way down. I've never needed a lot of information to make decisions. Uh, and listen, that has trade-offs too, certainly. But I think when I made that decision, I was certainly a lot younger. I didn't have a family like I do now, and there wasn't as much at stake, but I was ultimately dissatisfied with my current state. You know, when you and I did sales together, that was just a lifestyle that I wasn't used to. I had grown up very athletic, very fit, and used to engaging my physicality, but you know, there was long hours and not a whole lot of movement built into the, into the job. And I adapted to that. I, I put some weight on. I, I didn't really feel as good as I wanted to. I certainly didn't look as good mm. as I had previously. And those are some of the emotional drivers that caused me to want to pursue a program to start taking care of myself. So I started going to the gym actually down the street about nine months prior to making that decision. I had lost a bunch of weight. And then actually I was offered a job by the fitness manager there. And it was kind of right time, right place. 
So did you think, okay, great, this is in alignment with me, or was this just about getting another job? Like, did you fall in love with fitness or the idea of, because listen, there's fitness, right? There's people who just, you know, they're in the measuring. And I remember measuring your, your turkey and, you know, shredded <laughs> chicken. I, I remember the deal and all the containers and the Tupperware and stuff. I remember it like it was yesterday. So there are people who committed to fitness, but really that's their personal fitness. That's different than wanting to help other people. So was that already part of your psyche, so to speak, that you knew you wanted to help other people when you took on that position at the gym, you know, in a trainer capacity or that type of thing? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I actually would equate it, and this might sound overly strong, but it was kind of like when I met my wife. It was kind of love at first sight for me. That's the way my story mm. tell went. But mm. when I started serving in that capacity and realized that I could do something that I intuitively felt good at, I didn't necessarily have obviously a lot of knowledge when I started, but I felt good about myself in that environment. So yeah, I kind of felt that that was going to be a long-term strategy. So that's a good point you're raising too, because another thing I think people struggle with is maybe I'm not smart enough, right? Maybe I don't know as much information. So I think you, you said something very interesting. It was how you felt. You felt that this was right. And you knew you had to learn some stuff, right? You know, hence the 27,000 certifications that you have. <laughs> but you knew there was a learning part to get better, but you felt like you were home to a certain extent. Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the, maybe a natural gift, if you will, is I've always allowed my clients to direct my studies. So if a client presented mm. me with something, you know, my knee hurts when I'm lunging, okay? I had no idea really what the knee was, the bones that made it up, or even really barely what a lunge was. And so I would use those opportunities to say, you know what, there's a knowledge gap here and let me fill that in. And so I've, my, that's what's led to all the certifications is honestly, that none of them have really been based on desire or a need to satisfy ego, but really all based on a need that my clients have driven me to do all of those things. Mm, that's interesting to keep the client first. A lot of people think about what their business is going to do, how their business is going to work. And they build this whole business out and then find out it's not what their customers wanted, right? Exactly. So you go out, you go to the gym. Now it comes to a point, right, where it's time to move on from that. Mm -hmm. And talk to us about the transition there and, and what you were thinking of when it was really time to, because you basically left one career to go into a field. So going to the gym, you're still an employee. You were then, but you were in a field where you felt home, you felt more comfortable, and you were growing your education in, but you weren't a business owner yet. Correct. How did that happen? Right. So uh, I think there was, uh, you know, it's kind of, I think my natural style is to, to be big in the environment that I occupy. And uh, mm. I felt contained by it. And so, you know, mm. even though it was a 30,000 square foot gym, large in size, my mind was beyond it. And so I just mm. saw that there was an opportunity like to that. help people in a bigger way. And so interestingly, my wife, before she was my wife, and just a friend at the gym had referred me an in-home client and said, hey, I've got this opportunity to train somebody in home, but I'm not really interested. Would you like it? And it was the same thing. Another uh, right time, right place, met this client mm -hmm. and they were the springboard for where I'm at today. So you now go, you say, okay, I'm going to go on my own. And again, knowing you a long time, I've known you through all these transitions, right? So, so you go, all right, I'm going to do personal training. Million personal trainers out there, right? So I'm going to do personal training. Now I'm going to open a studio, which you still have to this day right? Correct. Same Correct. location. Mm -hmm. So how do you start a process, your training, you know, clientele, opening a studio, a lot of balls in the air there, you're trading time for money, right? Because a lot of personal training is all about um, sessions, you know, per session costs. 
Correct. fitness packs, packages. Is that how you started to fashion your business? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I started in the way most people did because uh, I didn't know much. And so I had to look around and see, well, what's, what's everyone else doing? And so right. yeah, I started with that. But then you, I ended up seeing that it wasn't a good long-term strategy. It wasn't good for the client. It wasn't good for me. For instance, selling 10 packs of sessions and you know, 10 hours flies by pretty quickly. And sure. uh, what I realized is I was giving people an opportunity to say no every month. And so mm. I want to start thinking, how can I structure this in a way that's actually supportive of their long-term goals? And I knew a 10-hour package was never going to suffice. So at that point, just because we're talking about this specifically, I decided to switch my packages from here's how many hours we can spend versus here's how much time we're going to invest. And mm. so, yeah, it's still essentially time we're looking at, but we just look at it through a different lens. But again, I only knew that through experience and through failures. So at some point you realized that that model wasn't ultimately working for you, the, the exchange of time. There was a period where you tried to put more emphasis into the studio. Yes, group classes or training there to reduce the outward, you know, personalized drive to someone's house. So was that a transition for you also? That was a huge transition. It was refreshing at the time, not having to travel and actually having people come to see me. But long story short, I ended up finding that uh, that had its own you know, disadvantages in the way that I was engaging. It was, as you said, personal training. It was group training. It was semi-private training. It was very physical and tactical, but I hope I'm not getting ahead here. This is really where mm. kind of some of the transformation happened in my profession. You know, This is many years into my studio, probably almost 10. And I, I realized that the people that I was working with didn't like the process that I was taking them through to reach their goals. Mm. Number two, the people who were actually reaching their goals very rarely ever, if ever, sustained their goals. Right. And then the last part of it is that I ended up realizing, and this has been kind of my epiphany, is that people came to me for the body, but it was a mind holding them back and it was their spirit that was suffering. So I realized I really wasn't training the whole person. Mm. And that has really what's catalyzed what I do today. What's your opinion on this as an entrepreneur? The idea that some people will pursue the money, and I've learned this, and it's one of our 33 rules that we talk about, but some people pursue the money. They say, you know, here's the business idea. You got to find a problem and then help the person fix it, right? That becomes the, the thought process. You got to find a, a problem in the market, and then you help that person fix the problem. Correct. So how have you been able to, from an entrepreneur level, pay attention to your customers and make those changes. Right. So for me, I've never been driven by the money. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, which is an ancient personality test, I'm a number four. So I'm a heart guy. So I've always been all in in everything that I do. And ultimately, my driver's just never been money. It's always been transformation and uh, level at the, at the transformation of the body, transformation uh, of the mind, as well as the spirit. So yeah, that's never really been my driver. But I think that all comes back to the individual and the professional. So, so what is that thing you were talking about? The Enneagram? What did you just call it? Uh, it's the Enneagram. What and is it's that? A, it's an ancient personality tool. It's actually from the wisdom Christian traditions. And uh, it just takes a really unique perspective on personality tests. And, you know, listen, I've taken some of the modern personality tests, such as the Colby. Mm. And uh, I just find this to be a lot more comprehensive a lot more inclusive of us as a whole person. What are our drivers? Where do they stem so, from? What are our so tendencies? So did that help you? Did that help you get in better touch with yourself, which then helped you with your business? Oh, 100%. I mean, everything I do okay. is experiential. So yeah, when I learn more about myself, I intuitively, inevitably learn more about people. And so yeah, what I was saying there's, uh, I think everyone's driven a little differently. If you're driven for the money, 
here's what I've discovered is whatever drives people is how they measure success. So it's that mm. quote, whatever, what gets measured gets managed. So yes. if, you, if success to you is a very full bank account, then you're mm-hmm. going gonna to engage in that way. But if success to you is transformation at a heart level, you're going to engage in a completely different way. And neither is right or wrong, just understanding what the driver is and paying attention to it. So you're going through this transition. So you're going through these moments over the years, right? A traditional model. It's not that it's not working. You, you are making money, right? You're, you're in course. business, right? It's right. not that it's not working financially. Maybe not at the level you want, but you are making money. But right. then now you're having this, these moments where you're seeing clients not get the performance that you want or not get the gains, yeah. right? You're starting to learn more about the body. You're starting to learn more about the mind, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now, through that process, though, you've got other things going on, right? Bills still need to be paid. Um, I know you've had different employees, trainers. How are you making those decisions in real time? You know, before we get up to today, which I think you would say is your best version of yourself and your company. But before we get to that, what are you thinking through that process of expanding? Oh, I got to duplicate myself. These are all the things that, pe- especially people in a service-based business, right. go through, right? There's only one Mike Risk. But I can't run classes all day. I can't train everybody. So now, you know, your wife comes into business. Now you've got other specialty guys or kettlebell trainers or these different things. Like people are popping in my head that I remember. Of but course. How are you processing all that to get your direction straight? Yeah, you know, I think that's such a good question. That really feeds into and I hope I answer this right, it feeds into who I am. So the same capacity that I had to leave the sales industry and go into mm-hmm. fitness is the same thing that led me to where I am today in the sense that here, here was the big uh, driving factor. When I walked through my studio and I started realizing these things, people not enjoying the process and so on, what I also realized is I had a studio full of clients, but I had no exit strategy for anybody there. Mm-hmm. And so I think fitness as a whole is a very selfish endeavor and not selfish in a bad way, but right. I think as a personal trainer previously, I never had an exit strategy. It was just, I just wanted to keep re-signing people until they decided that they no longer wanted to work with me. And so mm. what I realized, I wasn't really in a position. Uh, I had no sense of financial security because at any moment I could lose any number of clients. And right. so I had no say in the matter. So what I did was I conceptualized a model. And I think this really all kind of more is, I'm not very mind-driven, I'm more heart-driven. So it's all coming from that space. But my thought was if I can create a program for people where in 12 months they won't need me anymore, then right. I can at least work with them in a, everyone's expectations are well managed then. Because right. we have a right. conversation that, hey, my goal, because really, I mean, the definition of success is me seeing myself out of their equation. Because right. if I've given them the tools they need, then they can stand on their own two feet when I'm gone. And right. so- Prior to that, I never had a client that was able to stand on their own two feet. They'd always go back and put the weight on or fall back into the rat race, whatever it was. And so I conceptualized Give 12, but I'll be honest, I had a near mental breakdown when I started implementing it because I thought, you know, I had this grand idea to quote unquote empower everyone and all my clients are going to leave me because I've given them all my knowledge. But interestingly, what's happened is I believe that when you go from the inside out, rather than having your own kind of selfish uh, endeavors or agenda top of mind. What happened was at the year mark, what I was finding with these clients is nobody wanted to leave. And I mm. think really what happened was I was probably one of the first people in their life who ever truly operated in a selfless way in their own best interests. And so not only is our retention rate more than double, but so of our referral rates. 
And mm. I think people, you know, once they trust you at that level, their value significantly increases. And so many people are afraid to give away information, right? There's this ongoing battle in the entrepreneurship community and in the EBM education-based marketing community that, mm. well, don't give them too much because what will they pay for? Or, you know, and you, you said it right there, like, if I give all my knowledge to them, then what do I have left? But you become a trusted advisor, you become a trusted resource, right? You know, to that group. And in the opening, I used the word tribe, uh, which you had in your bio. And that's such an important, you know, part of the marketplace there. What would you say to entrepreneurs out there that, especially in the service-based business, especially where, you know, you're the face to a certain extent, because I'm not just investing in your program, right? I'm investing in you. Of course. Um, what advice would you give them as it relates to approaching not just building a list, but the difference between building a list and getting email addresses or people that you could market to, the difference between that and building a tribe. Right. Yeah. I think, again, I think it goes back to the driver and how success is being measured. If you're looking to build an empire, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to appreciate that you might not, there's going to be a trade-off there. Do you, do you want to build the empire or do you want to deliver a certain level or quality of service? And so that's going to be a very individually driven decision, I believe. But I would say for anybody who's looking to build a relationship where performance metrics are not looked at as closely as transformation is, if you make decisions from that standpoint, the business model, I think, just kind of sorts itself out from there. And so I think one of the really good books that I've read, though, that's helped me to find the balance, because listen, there's also a trade-off for me being the way that I am. You know, right. I, like, like you said, I might trade money for time, and I only have so much time in a week. So it's forced right. me to become more creative over the past few years, creating an online program, so on and so forth. And you need to find a balance to all of them. So whether you're really strong head type, heart type, or gut type, you need to find your balance. And so one of the great books that I've just recently read was by Daniel Priestley called Oversubscribed. And basically how to create a practice in which you always have a surplus of clients waiting to work with you. That is awesome, man. So I think of when people used to ask Tony Robbins, they used to say, you know, well, Tony, uh, you always reminded me of Tony Robbins. Like, <laughs> I get that all team. the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he would say, yeah, you know, he would say, oh, Tony, you know, Tony's a motivational speaker. And, you know, one of the things he would say, and he won't, sh wouldn't shy away from that because you really can't, but he will tell you first and foremost that he's a peak performance expert. So now having evolved from the guy at the gym yeah. and then the guy doing personal fitness classes for 10 packs and yeah. the guy having a studio so yeah. he didn't have to drive to you right yeah. you now have settled into you're using the language of inner work and transformation talk to us a little bit about the business model you have now and do you find that and truthfully looking back over time are you the most in alignment with who you are and are you better off financially or did getting in alignment with who you are cost you money to a certain extent. Right. Uh, well, there's certainly an investment to get into the direction that I'm at now. You know, I've probably had mm. invested about $100,000 uh, over the past few years to really just position myself to do what I do and feel good about it. Uh, but, you know, no risk, no reward. And uh, so I had to take a chance on myself, but I've only known that. So here's what I'd say about my previous self and all my previous states. I've learned this term transcend and include. And so I think there is a tendency to want to not appreciate or remember who you were previously that got you to where you are today. So I've really learned how to integrate my previous selves so I can really show up uh, in a client session or in a personal conversation like we had just before 
um, mm. just to really show up in a very full way because it's all of my imperfections, all of my failures that essentially created the level of success that I'm experiencing today. So to the other part of your question, what we do now is what's called lifestyle management. And what I mm. do is I'm not interested in engaging the physical, tactical maneuvers of diet and exercise to help people. Because in just a few weeks, we're going to have a New Year's resolution that's going to come about. And it's the same one that's come out over the last hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years. And people are going to set them and people are going to fail. And it's predictable. It's predictable because it's not a person problem. There's nothing wrong with people. It's their approach. It's how they're approaching improving their health and well-being, their finances, stopping smoking, whatever it is. It's an approach problem. And so one of the things, one of the big problems that they have is that they're looking to address what, what happened to them, the fact that they're broke, the fact that they're overweight, the fact that they can't relate to people socially, but they're not addressing why it happened to them. So what I do mm-hmm. is I help people to address the why behind the what. And if you think about Simon Sinek's Golden Circle Talk, it's kind of there's that why, how, why is on the inside, then there's the how, then, then there's what we're going to do about it. So I don't really so wait, hop- you're, are you the, you're the fitness guru who... <laughs> is not making people work out anymore? <laughs> Essentially, yes. Uh, just because, here's a problem. Somebody comes into me 50 pounds overweight, just making up this right. totally you know, fictitious, right. but sure. not like, sure. probably the client I had last week at the same time. They say, I want to lose weight. And now their thought, they have a preconceived notion when they hire me that we're going to do something physical. Sure. And so when I dig a little bit, when I just ask a question and I generously listen, what I hear is, a lot of my issues that led to my weight gain have been due to emotional reasons. And so one of the terms we'll use is I emotionally eat. And so they're giving me the answer right there. They're saying, Mike, my issue is not physical, it's emotional. And so we just can't pretend that physical tactics are going to address emotional issues. And I think it's really important on the front end, helping someone to understand the difference between a manifestation of an issue and the issue itself. So I get at the issue. The other part of that is making sure that their lifestyle is supportive of the goals that they want to achieve. Because most people say, oh, you know, I want to reach these goals. But then when I take a step back within the first few sessions, I say, let's take a look at your schedule. Because I know their current state has been created by their current schedule, which has then been created by their current mindset. So by saying- let me ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this. Do you find yourself now wishing that you would have done this immediately? Like, do you find yourself wishing that for you personally, did the journey have to happen for you to get here? Or do you think you could have potentially just gone this path out of the gate? Like, as in, if I could do it over again, or is the only way you're effective now today because you went through all the business model changes and different variations to really get in alignment is my word alignment with your passion. Come on, Corey, you know the answer. <laughs> they might, I know the answer, but somebody right now is like, oh my God, what do I do? I really want to start this business. I want to get into fitness. I love fitness. I'm so passionate about it. Should I go work at the gym, then get private clients? There's somebody right now that works at a gym that's right. been doing work on the side, side work, going to people's houses and telling them not to re-sign their gym package because You'll do it for less and take out the middleman and <laughs> right. thinking that that's going to be their transition to the business. And they're going to load up their trunks with just like you used to. I remember, yep. uh, you know, when you made the attempt to train me and, <laughs> you know, you show up with your, your stuff and, you know, pull it out of the basket. There's somebody thinking that that's going to be their way to financial freedom and that's going to be their way to complete 
you know, their journey and, and their alignment, what do you say to them? Okay. The answer is the same as what I said before. It's transcend and include. I have to include all of those experiences, all those failures and setbacks, because it would not have given me the insight that I would have needed to know how to work in a more strategic fashion. So would I have liked to practically? Yeah, probably. But I appreciate all the experiences that led me here. Good answer. What's your craziest entrepreneurship moment? Uh, when I decided three years ago to shut down two-thirds of my studio and focus back in on a private business that led to this lifestyle management concept. Mm. So you did that at the expense of immediate income. Yes. Right? Yeah. You had to have that magical word called patience. Right. Did you call that failure or did you call that your future? I called it courage more than anything. Uh, it was a combination of both failures and successes. Uh, I lost about right. you know, 50, 75 clients in that month. And so mm. the, the majority of people that we were used to, you know, our tribe literally was just gone overnight. Uh, mm. So it was, it was certainly a transition, but it was something, uh, again, it was just heart driven. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And I just try as often as I can to respect my gut feeling or my intuition. How long did it take you really quickly? Because this is a, that's a whole nother show in itself, but really quickly, how long did it take you to get back to that place, to get your business back to the place that you, yeah. you know, felt really comfortable again? You give yeah. it to me short. <laughs> Within a year. Okay, nice. And yeah. you didn't know that. You just had confidence. I just had hope and courage. Hope and courage. <laughs> and faith, I'm sure. Somewhere. And faith, absolutely. Faith. Yeah, I know you're a man of faith. Okay, awesome. Man, that was, some, that was awesome. But as always, we've come to the entrepreneurship rapid fire section. We're going to get to know you a little bit in a series of quick questions that require quick answers. Let's do it. <laughs> Are you ready? I am. All right. So is Mike Risk a PC or Mac guy? Mac all the way. What's your favorite credit card to run your business? Amex. Are you a physical planner or a digital planner kind of guy? Physical. What's your favorite software right now to manage your business? MindBody. MindBody. Are you a Starbucks Duncan or other kind of guy? <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks. What's the drink? Uh, small dark roast. Small. Oh, nothing complicated. No. You don't want just... it whipped, shaken. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Cre cream and sugar. Now, cream and sugar. Yeah. Are you a thank you card or thank you email kind of guy? Thank you card. So you talked about doing a lot of reading. Now, do you do that on a hardcover book, a tablet, or audio books for your information? Hardcover. Hardcover. You like the smell of that book. I love it. What's your next big goal? My next big goal is to actually introduce this model to the professional industry and start mm -hmm. to create uh, a revolution. I've already started to create a revolution from the bottom up through consumers, but it's now a matter of how do I balance that from the top down with professionals who can bring this to their clientele, this thought mm -hmm. process. Last question. One day with any mentor, doesn't have to be somebody famous, who would that person be? Richard Rohr. And who is Richard Rohr? He's a Franciscan priest. He has added mm. more to my quality of life than anyone I've ever listened to. But the second would, wow. be, second would be Seth Godin. Okay. Yeah. You don't get two. You just get one. So Richard okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nice try, though. <laughs> now we're on to our final segment called Entrepreneurship Trivia. This is where you have an opportunity to get a question right. <laughs> if, you answer, if you answer this question correct, I'm going to donate $25 to the charity of your choice. If you get it wrong, fingers crossed, you'll be donating $25 to the charity of my choice. Are you ready for your trivia question? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Who said the following? In the business world, 
the rear view mirror is always clearer than the windshield. Give you three options. A, Warren Buffett. B, Elon Musk. Or C, Bill Gates. I have to go with B, Elon Musk. B, Elon Musk. All right, congratulations. That is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and the my favorite charity, the KLM Foundation, will be picking up $25. The correct answer as to who said that was Warren Buffett. Okay. But I do thank you for playing. I've been doing very, very well. The uh, car analogy. With, with the, you know there was a car analogy built into that. That was somewhat <laughs> misleading. <laughs> nope. I, listen, there's right and there's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Black or white. All right. Listen, Mike, I want to thank you for joining the show today. How do people get in touch with you? What's, tell us your social website. Give us the scoop. Yeah, uh, really simple. It's conditionforlife.com, or they can uh, call our studio, 732-249-9000. I think that's just How do they easy. find you on social? You're on social uh, media? Yep, we're on Facebook, and I'd have to check my email. I honestly don't remember all the names. But if you go to Condition for Life, you're going to find us. Yeah. Now, uh, is that 4, F-O-R, or the number 4? It is. tricky. F F-O-R. Okay. Conditionforlife.com. Correct. Yep. Mike, awesome. I want to thank you for joining the show today, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And always, I want to thank you, the listener. This has been the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Find out all the information, listen to the past shows, check out our blog at fearlesswithcorey.com. And as always, I will leave you with this. Keep the mind sharp, the vision clear, the resolve strong, and you will make it. I'm Corey Mosley, and I'll see you next time. Are you still there? I just want to say thank you again for listening to this podcast. Our podcast is distributed to several different sources like iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud, plus, of course, our own website. And it would mean so much to me if you liked the show to leave a review. It, of course, helps to build our popularity, but it also helps us come up in search engines so we can reach as many entrepreneurs as possible. So, can I count on you to leave a review? I know I can. Thanks again, and I look forward to sharing with you next week.